You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. What's cracking? I cannot believe we are already on to Episode 7, and I can't thank you enough for taking this journey with me. Now, I'm not sure about you, but personally... While I'm obviously still not where I need to be or where I want to go, I am already so much better for having started this journey than I was when I was sitting back and not attacking. Now, there are different ways of attacking and processing all of our challenges, different ways to pursue becoming the very best version of ourselves. And today, we take yet another approach, the approach of the Stoics. We'll be joined by somebody who I have immense respect for, Ryan Holiday. Ryan is a prolific and best-selling author. He's one of the finest minds and thinkers that I've ever encountered. His book, The Obstacle is the Way, literally changed my life. Literally. I feel extremely fortunate to have had the opportunity to speak with Ryan over the years and to break bread with him, but the conversation that you're about to hear is the best that I've ever had with him, either on or off the air. I promise you, this is one you're going to want to listen to over and over again. It is that good. Episode 7 of The Reinvention Project with Ryan Holiday is coming at you right now. My guy, Ryan, first things first, and let me say it is absolutely awesome to get caught up with you. Thank you so much for making time for The Reinvention Project, our new podcast. How are you and your family doing, Ryan, first, during this most challenging and unusual time? Yeah, it's 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 weird. I mean, obviously, uh, this isn't uh, the year that anyone would have chosen, and and it feels almost like offensive to focus on what's gone well when you know so many people have, have lost people or lost jobs or lost businesses. So it, it's it's kind of a weird question to answer, but there's a part of me that you know feels like this has been a a a, a year unlike any other, and that I you know I've never spent this much time with my kids. I've never spent this much time at home. I've never not had to do so many, uh, you know, painful social things that I would otherwise be guilted into doing. It, it's it, in in that sense, it's been productive and and wonderful and and you know unexpected. There have been certainly challenges, but uh, I've, I'm sort of choosing to focus on on the stuff I've been given rather than the stuff that's been taken away. I think this is a very interesting response, and it actually led me to what I was going to ask you, and I think I'll ask you anyway, nonetheless, the pandemic then, has it been depressing to you or has it been liberating? Well, it's been, as an introvert, it's been liberating in a lot of ways. I, I think if, if there's anything that I'm struggling with from a, you know, sort of de- depressing or, or frustrating, it's that I think if you're a person who's, who's sort of idealistic, who holds yourself to a high standard, who wants to see the best in people, I think what's been rough about the last 12 months, although there's obviously been in all sorts of incredibly inspiring stories of sacrifice and, and heroism and even just that, you know, we're sitting here in the midst of this vaccine rollout, which is a, you know, a human accomplishment, I think, on par with the, the moon landing. It's also been demoralizing to watch, not just total strangers, but also just like people you know, people you thought were on the same wavelength who, who can't even... You know, you can't even put a piece of cloth over their face or, you know, get their groceries delivered instead of, you know, going to this store or that store. I think, I think I've, I've struggled with, like, some disillusionment about, you know, my fellow humans from time to time. 
I think that's fair. And I mean, your fellow humans, what about, and you are an introvert, as you point out, Ryan, but have you suffered or experienced any of that with a close friend group? Has that been something that you've experienced? And has that been frustrating when a friend can't put a piece of cloth over their face? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure you've had some conversations like this where, you know, you, you, you check in with a friend and you're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Like, you know, when's your vaccine appointment? You know, you're just like, sure, check or whatever. And then you get back like a, uh, a thing you, you did not want to hear come out of that person's mouth. You know, it's like you press the, you press the button and they decided to reveal their, their crazy side, right? And, and so I, I've experienced that. But, and it's, it's inevitably, you know, or invariably it tends to be from people like I really either admired or would have least expected that from. Yes. So that, that's, been a, that's been a strange experience. You're like, oh, you know, something got you, right? And, and I wrote about this a little while ago. There's this interesting line in Mark Cerelius's Meditations, which it only really sort of hit me in the last year that he was writing during what we now call the Antonine Plague 2,000 years ago. But he says, like, look, there's, he's like, there's a plague that can destroy your life. And then he's like, but the real one to be worried about is the one that destroys your character. And I think you, we've watched... Certain people, and this is true politically too. You know, you can, you can kind of get infected with these viruses, whether it's the virus of selfishness or sort of stupidity or a bubble or a conspiracy or or just like you know, in some cases like almost aggressive cruelty. And and it's it's an equal opportunity killer, right? These are not just like uh, you know crazy people who never graduated from high school and you know got kicked in the head by a horse. These can be like really smart, incredibly successful, otherwise thoughtful, decent, good people who have just been infected with a line of thinking that has not only no basis of reality, but if everyone thought that way, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Please forgive my use of the language, but I'd like to point out that fucking Ryan Holiday is in the house. This is what (laughs) I'm talking about. My man has arrived. You mentioned Aurelius, so let me ask you about this in Meditations. Quote, most of what we say and do is not essential. End quote. Uh, That seems so simple, yet so powerful. What does he mean by that? And generally, this notion of essentialism, what are we talking about here? Well, so what, what he's saying, he actually is, says it's a question we should ask ourselves. Every minute, everything we're doing, is this essential? And he's saying that, yeah, most of what we do is not essential. We, we do it because we're supposed to. We do it because we've always done it. We do it because everyone else is doing it. And then he says, but the result, when you cut out a lot of inessential stuff, is that you do the essential stuff better. And I think I've, I've certainly, this sort of goes to what I was saying earlier, I, I found that there was a surprising part of this year, which is that, you know, I always thought I was productive kind of on the road. I was productive doing this or that, or that these things were helping me as a writer, as a business person, or as a, you know, a human being. Then when they all go away and you're sort of able to reinvent your routine or your process or the structure of your business from, from the ground up, you can really see for the first time what some of the opportunity costs were of like, hey, if I'm on the road a week a month, I think that that's, you know, Im- impacting my productivity 5%, but maybe it's really been in- impacting my productivity 45%. And, and so I think what you find when you ask yourself this question of what, what do you really have to do, what really matters, what really moves the needle, is that 
you cut out a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do that you didn't really enjoy in the first place, but then all that energy goes towards the stuff you do have to do, and you do it much, much better. All right, so a quick thought for you. Small businesses have always shown an amazing ability to adapt, innovate, and survive, and even more so in this past year. Now, another way you can adapt and grow is by finding the right people to help you grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs helps you do that for free. Trust me, I know this. I have been using LinkedIn Jobs. It is so hard to find the right people, or I thought so until I started using LinkedIn Jobs. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, the skills, and motivation that you need. And then with simple filtering and management tools, you can easily review, rate, and hone in on your top candidates. The process is beautiful. LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is free. Just go to linkedin.com slash Rome. Once again, linkedin.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E. Again, linkedin.com slash Rome to post that first job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, so do we, then this makes sense to me. Now, is it easy to distinguish between what is essential and what's not? In other words, do we know inherently what we are supposed to do? Or is that maybe not as easy as it sounds? Oh, it's definitely not as easy as it sounds. I mean, I think we, we kind of have like an intuitive gut instinct and then sometimes, you know, guilt or, or you know, biases or status quo can sort of weigh on us. So I, I think there is a part of us that's just like, do you really want to do this or not? Like, there's a great test people talk about. They say it's like, hell yes or no, hmm. right? Like, either you know you really, really, really want to do it or you just you don't do it. So I think there's part of that. But, I, I, again, I think this, this year has in some ways been kind of like the largest forced lifestyle experiment in human history. So it really forced us to have to say no. I mean, some of the stuff that we used to do became illegal, Right, and and it was impossible. So, like I remember in the summer, because Texas has kind of been, uh, you know, off and on, sort of been a weird sort of. The, the government's had a weird approach, but so so it wasn't always it, like in California. It's just like you haven't been able to do anything for twelve months. In Texas, it was like now you get to decide. And I remember there'd be moments where I was one day reveling in how sort of focused and and disciplined I'd been, how much better it was. And then, you know, I get some unsolicited message, hey, you want to have coffee? And, and because I could say yes to it, right, even though I, did, I wasn't going to and I didn't think that I should, but all of a sudden because I had a choice, now even just the, the question of whether I should or shouldn't or will or won't is taking up bandwidth. And so, you know, it's just so hard to stay focused and do what you're supposed to do because there's all these temptations, and, and I think – I am trying to get better at doing that. Right. And so even you yourself are trying to get better at doing that. You did use the word, Ryan, reinvention. And this is the reinvention project. And the reason I took this on is, you know, I'm I'm older than you. I've done this a long time. But I, f- I feel very strongly, and maybe you would agree or disagree, I'm, I'm trying to believe and convince myself that my best 30 years are in front of me and not behind me. And if I wouldn't believe that, why would I get up in the morning and right. not try as hard as I possibly can? But I really am being honest in trying to figure out how to go about doing that in the sense of reinvention in process, business, brand, whatever it is, can we completely reinvent ourselves? I mean, can we kill off our former self or really pragmatically, can we just hope to get a little better every single day? 
You know, what's so different about what we do compared to, like, the, the athletes you cover or that I sometimes get to speak to is, like, the very least, like, our bodies and our minds are not actively conspiring against us. They're not actively undermining us. So, like, you know, an, an athlete, just as they're starting to get the hang of the game, just as they're really figuring it out and figuring themselves out, this is when their professional decline begins, right? So even though their expertise and their mastery is cumulative, uh, it, it, it has diminishing returns because their ability to be, you know, quick out of the gate or, or, or to recover or, you know, to, to absorb a hit or, or even just like their foot speed is slowing down, this, they're constantly fighting against that entropy. Whereas you and I, you know, you we can theoretically do this until the day we drop dead. And so although, you know, maybe our sense of timing isn't quite as good or, or our, our drive isn't quite as much or, or, you know, you're not quite as trendy or, or whatever it is, there's, there's certainly things acting against you, but your cumulative experience is behind you all the time. And so I love, like, when you read something from an author or, or you, you, you watch a movie or something and you're just like, man, this person's been doing it for 50 years, and this is, like, the best fucking thing I've ever read. Like, I think about, like, I'm a big Michael Lewis fan. His book, The Big Short, you know, that's, like, 10 books in, 15 books in for him. And his expertise meets the story of a lifetime meets an incredible book. And I, I think he's done it again since, but I just really love... And what inspires me, and I think uh, hopefully this answers your question, is when you watch someone who's so far into their career just crush it, you know, you don't get, with the exception of Tom Brady or, you know, Vince Carter, you don't really get to see an athlete do it that long. I guess maybe golf is the only sport where, where you can have some real staying power, but, but I, I, I just think what we do, it, 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 it actually is possible and I think likely that those those years could be ahead of you because you know you're not you're not fighting against time the way that that most professions are not only does that answer my question i love the answer to that question now you mentioned michael lewis you ryan are a carnivorous reader you have always read and you have an enormous appetite for that so aside from that give me a book or two perhaps that has completely changed your life the thing that's kind of like shaking you to your core uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I feel, I feel like uh, I have a million of those, but if I, if I had to give a couple, um, I, we, we talked about Mark's Realist and Meditations. I think it's just, you know, this incredible book of, of the private thoughts of the most powerful man in the world. Um, but, but I, you know, Robert Greene was, was, has been my mentor as a writer. I think his book Mastery and his book uh, The 48 Laws of Power are sort of two seminal uh, seminal books in my development. Um, for anyone who hasn't read Viktor Frankl, he writes Man's Search for Meaning, but then he, they discovered a lost book from him that I read earlier this year that was, was quite powerful called Yes to Life. Uh, so I, I'm always looking for someone who has some insight into like the human condition, into what it means to want to get better, um, that, that's able to sort of by by delving deeply in themselves, find something that helps, you know, helps everyone. All right. So, I mean, in a sense, this is why you read. I mean, you, yeah. you read because you love to read and always have. But, I mean, what we're talking about here is you are searching for, quote, a way to life. Have you found a way to life? 
I don't know if I found a way to life, but I've certainly found things that made me better at life. You know, we take philosophy, right? A lot of people, I think, think philosophy is abstract, it's theoretical, it's huge words, you know, said by old dead white guys with names you can't pronounce. And there's an element of that that's true, but, you know, to the Stoics, the purpose of philosophy was to, like, become a better person. It was to give you advice, to give you guidance. It was to, it was to add to your own life all the past experiences and, and, and brilliant thinking from the people that came before you. So, like, when I think about reading, I think about it as a way to learn from the experiences of others rather than learning by trial and error. Are there things that you have to learn by trial and error? Of course, but it always amazes me. You know, you'll, you'll talk to someone who's doing this hard thing and they're, they're winging it as if not only like people haven't been through that before and that people haven't written about it before, but sometimes there's like a seminal memoir or book about like that exact topic that like some brilliant person has figured out and taken the time to put down Meanwhile, this person's over here like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. All right, this is the day. This is the day that picking winning stocks got super easy. I'm talking about carnivore trading. I'm on carnivore trading. I love it. It's a radically different stock targeting website that is completely disrupting Wall Street big time. Carnivore Trading is a small elite squad of stock market strategists. I've talked to these guys. I love these guys. They're the ones who influence the market influencers, the big guys. And what they're doing is pulling back the curtain so people like us from newbies to portfolio managers can see exactly what they're trading. This is why I signed up. And for a low monthly fee, I get real-time text alerts of the explosive stocks that they're trading right now. In other words, they're like, here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it. And then I make the choice. I can mirror their trades through my discount broker or I can pass. Except passing is nuts because their trades are crushing the S&P 500. Trading carnivores trades is like earning your PhD in the stock market. And you'll love this. They'll guarantee that you earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. 5x your monthly fee just by doing what they do. I can get you two weeks to see for yourself for free. Visit scoreourtrades.com and enter the code Jim Again, scoreourtrades.com, codename Jim. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. So what we're talking about, and you were one of those people who put this very thing down. Like if we're talking about books that change lives, a book that I have read and reread, and I know you've got a theory on that too, that it's important to reread things yes. numerous times. But it will come as no surprise to you, but your brilliant work, The Obstacle is the Way. Now, I mean, this is a book that when we talk about, quote, something that shakes up your life and makes you who you are, a book that I passed on to my college son. I've told you this. He read it before he went to college. He loved it. For those, and so many people have read the book, for those who do not know what that means, what does that mean? The obstacle is the way. Yeah, the, the, the premise there, and, and this comes from Stoic philosophy, is that, sure, stuff gets in your way. Like, you set out to do one thing, and you bump into this problem or that problem. Something blocks a path, but in so doing, it creates the opportunity for a different path. Even if that path is just struggling to roll this giant boulder out of the way and getting stronger for that, or having to take the time to do that, and having to slow down to be able to do that. So for the Stoics, it was that 
look, we don't control what happens, right? We know that. But we do have this superpower in that we control how we respond. We, we choose what we're going to make of it. And that, this is true for something as, as, as tragic and enormous as the COVID-19 pandemic. Like, you don't choose that your state goes into lockdown. You don't choose that, you know, you can't travel. You don't choose all the stuff that happens. But you do choose what you're going to do when you wake up in the morning and how you're going to use that time. And there's some people who have used that time well. And there's other people who this is going to represent a lost year or more. And so how we choose to respond to stuff is what the obstacle is the way is. And, and it's this idea that actually in choosing a response, in focusing on what we control, we actually have the opportunity to be better than if that thing never happened to us. I'm not saying that, that you know, I, I mentioned Viktor Frankl, who is a survivor of the Holocaust, He's not saying that, oh, it's wonderful that the Holocaust happened and that he's glad that it happened. What he's saying is that it did happen and that he can find meaning in that experience and he can, he can, he can grow because of what he was forced to go through. He can learn something about himself and about humanity. He can decide not to be broken by it. He can decide that, that coming out the other side, he's gonna, he's gonna, use the time that he has on this planet to make a difference like that's what the uh, that's what the philosophy means i mean there it's yes and i understand that and i appreciate that i mean does that mean that things are things good or bad or is it just objective i mean there really is good and bad right or is there good and evil like how do we view that I think that's clear, right? There's good and evil. There's right and wrong. I don't think the Stoics are not are, are saying that 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 there's that there's not right and wrong. In fact, they're they're saying like virtue is the the most important thing. Like doing the right thing is the most important thing. I think what they're saying is there's no positive or negative. Things just are, right? I think this is you know one of Belichick's superpowers, right? Um, he looks at that Super Bowl against the Falcons, and he's he's not saying. I can't believe we're down by so much. This is a lost game. This is a blowout. We're screwed. He's saying the score is 28 to 3, right? It is, these are two numbers on the scoreboard, and that represents a certain amount of touchdowns, field goals, and, and uh, two-point conversions. And if we get there, great. And if not, well, we have to try. And so I think for the Stoics, this idea of like putting labels on things makes them harder. So we try to focus on what they are. I've been thinking about this. I notice I've got young kids, and all the, all the parents of, of, of people we know are focusing on, like, all the harm, right? Like, this is a lost year. Like, our kids are falling behind. They've been deprived of this. You know, that is made up, right? That's, that's a label we've put on it. You could just as easily say, like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to my four-year-old because uh, we spent so much time together. We got to go in depth on all this stuff. Um, we'll never get an experience like this again. Like, when, and in fact, you know, when you talk to really old people who lived through the depression of the Second World War, they don't tell you how screwed over they were by it. They talk about what a transformative experience this was in their life. And so the attitude we choose to approach these things with is, is the imperative part. Mm. 
Now, you have a blog post that is absolutely tremendous, and they all are, but you have one that's titled 100 Short Rules for a Better Life. I could literally ask you about every single one of them. You and I could do an entire pod for hours on that post alone, but let me just hit a few of these things because I find them very interesting. For instance, Ryan, quote, ask, am I using this technology or is it using me? Personally, I love that one. How should we use technology, and inevitably, how does it end up using us? Yeah, I mean, look, the the phone makes my life better in a lot of ways. I I don't get lost as much. I'm able to reach people. Hey, because I can check email on the phone, I don't have to be chained to my desk, and I can, you know, go home early and spend time with my kids. But the the phone, and particularly the software that operates on the phone, has one sole purpose, and that's to to get you to use it as much as possible, so you'll either pay for it or you'll you'll you know enjoy the ads, right? The the uh, the auto start feature at the end of an episode of Netflix. This is there both for your benefit and to manipulate you, right? Uh, and, and so it's it's really thinking about the fact that look, really smart people have spent a lot of time designing this to get you to do a certain thing. Was that a thing you want to do and you should be doing? If so, great. Or is that a thing that uh, is actually the exact opposite of the direction you want to go in your life? And you've got to ask yourself, like, am I in charge of the device or is the device in charge of me? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's another one. Don't watch television news. Let me ask you, what, why not? And if not, where should we get our news from? Well, look, you're in sports radio. You know every day stuff happens, and then you've got to find a way to, to talk about them, right? You got, should, should Kobe have done this? Should Shaq have done this? You know, is Jordan the best or is LeBron the best? You, you, you create discussions, right? Um, and it's fine with sports because sports is really just a way of studying life, and, and we also understand that it's a form of entertainment. But this is also exactly what Fox and MSNBC and CNN are doing, right? If, if their desire was to inform you, there'd be a few minutes of news every single day. It wouldn't be running 24-7, right? It's a, it, it, if they were actually informing you, you'd get up and leave the television, right? The whole point is to get you sucked in to a cycle of speculation and outrage. I just, I just think, look, it's important to be informed. I just think the television news is probably the worst possible way a human being could become informed in the entire world. Here, here. Concur. Now, this is interesting. Like you, you and I talk to similar people and read similar people in the sense that, you know, we like, and I don't want to speak for you, Ryan, but like, I'll look at a guy like Jocko Willink or David Mm -hmm. Goggins. And, you know, I, I like their force and their power and their, their will and their, their intent to exercise. One of your rules for a better life is strenuous exercise every day. Again, this seems pretty self-evident, but why is that so important from a stoic standpoint and what kind of exercise? So let's put the, just the basic health benefits aside, right? Which I think are obvious is why we exercise. It's not good to be sedentary. It's not good to be overweight. It's not good to neglect the body. All that's important. I think it's great to have something that's in your control that you can win at every day, right? I never, I might regret being at the gym while I'm at the gym, although I haven't gone to the gym in a year, I work out at home, but you get my point. I might regret the workout in the middle of the workout, but I never regret having worked out, right? I'm always pleased with myself. Even, even if I push too hard because I was injured or sick, I still have a, a perverse satisfaction that I, you know, I, I fucking did the thing. Um, 
So I love having a thing that I can win at every day. I never leave my house to go for a run and I don't come back, right? Like, it's, it's, it's in my control. So much, like, whether I have a good writing day, whether, you know, the stock market goes up or down, whether the podcast goes, you know, poorly or, 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 or well, so much of that depends on other people, depends on other things, depends on luck. But, like, if I go into the gym and lift weights or if I jump in the pool and go for a swim, like, that's up to me. And I just I think you want to you wanna have something that, that's creating momentum in your life. I like this. I like all this. I'm picking my spots. Now, I love this next one, and I honestly, I have an idea where you're going, but not completely, so I really want to ask you. Quote, okay. build an inner citadel. What does that mean? The Stoics, the, the inner citadel is the thing you kind of retreat into when everything falls apart. You know, if your identity is tied up in your success, in things being easy, uh, in, in getting your way, in being well-liked, you know, you're really vulnerable. Because, again, all this depends on things that are outside your control. Um, I'm reading this new translation of Marcus Aurelius right now, and he, he talks about the mind. He refers to it as, like, the command center. And I like that idea. It's like your mind, your soul, you know, your inside stuff, like, that's like your bunker. No one can get in there. And when you need to, like, go regroup, when you need to draw on your, your reserves, your strengths, like, that's where you go. And so I, I, I like this idea of building some kind of fortitude or strength inside yourself that you draw on in moments precisely like this. I mean, you know, I think we've both seen a lot of sort of fair-weather people who would sort of skated through life or walked through raindrops, and suddenly things turn sideways and, and they, they can't handle you know, they can't handle this. And then you've seen probably other people who have thrived. And I think the people who have cultivated that inner citadel, they're able to thrive in adversity. Fuck yes. Okay, how do we build that inner citadel? I understand what it represents, yeah. but how do we build it? I think in a couple ways. I think sort of reading and studying and being inspired by great people in history, that's a big part of it. I think even, you know, to go back to this question of exercise, like when you do endurance sports, like I, I like to run and, and bike and swim, you get to this place, you know, mid-workout or, or really any workout, right? You're developing willpower, the ability to push past your body screaming, stop. Like, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to do this, right? You develop the ability to push through. And that itself is a muscle. Like, you know, another, like people do like, uh, like cold plunges these days, right? I don't actually think the benefits of being in the cold water are the the real benefit there, although, you know, it seems like there's some science behind it. To me, the, the thing you're really developing is the muscle, and, and I think about this every time I jump in the pool, the muscle to say, like, I know this is going to be unpleasant for the first few seconds, but I have the willpower to do it anyway. You know, like, I'm gonna, I can force myself to be uncomfortable because, like, I'm in charge. To me, that's, that's a way we develop that citadel. You know, I, I hear that, and I've heard things similar to that, and I embrace that. And I used the phrase, Ryan, last week on the podcast, but the first Navy SEAL that I ever met was a guy named Richard Makowitz, and he had written a book, and I read the book, and I trained with him. But he told me this, I think, going back to the late 1990s. But he did say, you need to take a cold shower every single day. And I said, that sounds horrible. Why would I do that? And he said, quote, to cut a toughness groove in your brain. 
And that the first time I'd heard that was like years and years and years and years ago. But I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Something else. Now, this this seems kind of funny, but as one of your short rules for a better life, quote, never recline your seat on an airplane. Why is that? Uh, look, I think I think our job in life is to not make things worse for other people. And in, in, in economics, they call this externalizing or externalities, right? And I think the last year has been a great example of people not understanding how their choices have uh, impact on other people. You hear this all the time. People go, I guess we all have different risk tolerances. When you're like, hey, why'd you go to a wedding with 400 people inside, right? They're like, I guess we all have our own risk tolerance. It's like, that's not how it works when your decisions ripple through the rest of the world, right? So, like, look, if, uh, if you reclining your seat didn't take away any space from the person behind it, I'd be all for it. I generally try to think, look, if everyone did this, how would it make people feel? It would make things worse. And so I think what I'm really talking about there is externalities, being conscious of how your actions affect other people. Okay, one more off that list because there are 100, but, and I'm going <laughs> to read this. I'm going to read this as you wrote this, quote, go the fuck to sleep. Yes. Uh, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this, too. Actually, one of, my, one of my New Year's resolutions, and I have not been keeping up with it the way that I wanted, is to have a bedtime, um, especially because having young kids, like, my, my wake-up time is, like, chosen, you know, uh, for me on a random, arbitrary schedule. Um, sleep is important, and recovery is important. And we're just really discovering that in sports more than anything, but when, uh, you know, the NBA is adjusting the schedule to have less back-to-back games so players can be more well-rested. Well it's not just load management. It's just like, look, if you don't sleep at night, and especially if you don't sleep a couple nights in a row, like, you know, you get five hours a night for three nights, you're not operating at 90% capacity. You're, offer, you're operating at, like, 40% capacity. And so going to sleep, keeping a sleep schedule, being conscious of and prioritizing sleep it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a productivity and a, and, a, and a quality of work decision. Can I sidebar really quickly, and forgive me if I've asked you this, but you are the ultimate literary sort. Sorry if I have asked you this, but Hemingway or Fitzgerald? There actually is a great book called Hemingway versus Fitzgerald uh, about their sort of friendship slash, uh, you know, hatred of each other. They're fascinating figures. I think... You know, Hemingway is, is this brilliant sort of man's man. It's produced th- th- this incredible writing. I think Fitzgerald is the, is the sort of gentler, uh, more fragile soul. Uh, I think Great Gatsby is one of the greatest books ever written. Uh, I, I love Hemingway, too. Uh, but, but Fitzgerald's book, Fitzgerald published this book, I think posthumously called uh, The Crack Up, it's about his sort of decline into alcoholism, and, and it's just this haunting book. You watch this sort of brilliant guy who blew it uh, sort of wrestle with his own demons and flaws. I, I'm probably ultimately partial to Fitzgerald. Interesting, because, and I don't know where this fits in your life. I, I, I'm proud 
that you are a product, at least in part, at least in part of the UC system. Of course. I've gone to UC Riverside. You know, I went to UC Santa Barbara. I had a college professor, and I took courses in Hemingway and Fitzgerald. He did say, this professor did say to me, The Great Gatsby is, quote, a perfect novel. I would argue they're different. I'm, I'm Personally, I'm partial to The Sun Also Rises. In your opinion, is there such a thing as a perfect novel? I, th- I think it's as close to a perfect novel as a human will ever come. And I think the real note there, though, is like this is a book that's rejected twice. It comes out. It's not a success immediately. Uh, and, and yet in, it almost becomes truer over time and better over time. I, it, to me, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably as close to the perfect novel. It, it's not like my favorite novel, but, it, but it, it's... I've, re- I've reread it, you know, many times, and, and you, every time you read it, you just notice something else that's happening. Uh, it, it, it's an incredible feat of, of human genius. And, and I think Fitzgerald says this. He says, the, the, he says, genius is the ability to put into effect what's in your mind. He says there is no other definition. And I think that's wh- I think what's so fantastic about Gatsby is that it's, it's exactly what he was trying to capture. You know, like he, he captured a moment and an, and an idea so perfect that I'm not sure he could have done better. Have, maybe someone else will do better on a different thing, but I think it's very clear that it's, it's the best he was ever capable of. Hmm. So if he defines genius that way, how would you define greatness? I mean, probably something close to that. I think greatness is when is when you achieve what you're capable of in that moment. You know, like when everything that you have is left out on the page or the court or the you know the the, the podium. When you gave fully everything you had, you didn't hold anything back. You didn't have any ulterior motives. You know, you weren't. You weren't self-conscious. You weren't hesitant. You weren't egotistical. It it was just there. Like like I have this. I, I think I wrote about this. I have like when I think like when I I just have some vision in my mind, like sort of the metaphor. Like when I'm writing, like I just think of like the the batter connecting with the ball. I, to me, that's it's like when you connect. Like when the bat really gets under the pitch, you hear the crack. It comes off the bat. That's what you're trying to do in any of your respective field. The, the ultimate results, you know, sort of are beyond us, right? Like, you know, Fitzgerald doesn't control whether Gatsby uh, is received critically or not. You know, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't control so much, but he did connect. He connected with the ball in a way that almost no one has ever connected with the ball before. All right, so to that point, though, Ryan, for instance, I, that the connection of the bat and the ball and the way it sounds and the way it feels, the vis- visualization, you know in baseball, batters go into slumps. We don't know how they go in. We don't know how they come out. Yeah. We know that it happens. As a writer, as a creator, as a performer, as an artist, do you then go into slumps personally, and then how do you get out? Well, not only do they go to slumps, like, if you, if you connect with the ball, like, 25% of the time, you're in, like, the top of the game, right? You know, the greatest who ever did it only connected 40%, and that was for, like, one season, right? So I think the other humbling part is just, like, how rare that connection is, um, especially to do so consistently. I, I don't know if I have slumps so much as, like, 
one of the one of the best pieces of advice I heard of writing is is that it's just a couple crappy pages a day. Like the 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 goal is not genius fits of inspiration. It's methodical plotting progress every single day. And so it's can you show up and do it, and then you get it on the page, and then you can refine it and improve it from there. But it starts with the ability and the dedication to put your ass in the chair and to actually be, unco- be comfortable not being great that culminates in something that you can edit and refine and improve and market to a place where it's seen as great. This was the final topic I wanted to ask you about, and you led me right into it beautifully because I know you feel strongly about this, and I think that this is practical, and I think it's pragmatic, and I think that we could all benefit from your thoughts on this. You feel very strongly about journaling. Now, I would imagine that's not just for you as a writer, but but what do you journal about? How often do you do it, and why is it important for all of us to do? I mean, if you look at the list of people who have journaled throughout history, it should tell you something. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Da Vinci is doing it, and, and, and Hemingway is doing it, and Fitzgerald is doing it, and, and you know, if, if smart people are doing it, there's probably a reason, I would think. But for me, it's, it's, it's a place to sort of start the sl- to wipe the slate clean each morning, to put, to put some thoughts down, to get them out of your head, to get some clarity, to also to do something for really no, like, I don't, I, I don't, my journals are not drafts of writing I'm going to do later. I don't, I don't go, you know, one day I hope somebody finds this and they publish my thoughts in my journal. Like the journal is, the act of journaling is the, is the outcome. Like what is being written? It could be gibberish. And my, my handwriting is basically illegible anyway. Um, it's, it's the taking the time to do it that's important. I would say what I, so I, I have a journal called the Daily Stoic Journal where you get like a prompt each day. So I, I do that because I, I feel like I can answer my own questions. I don't feel like I'm reading my own book. But this other journal that I like a lot, it's called the One Line a Day Journal. And I've been doing it for five years. I'm on the fifth year. And you just write one sentence or one little entry every day in the same spot for five years. And I've really enjoyed being able to be like, even now, like, like so I know where I was, what's today, the 14th. I saw this morning what I was doing on April 14th, 2020. And, and as things were falling apart in 2020, I was looking at what I was doing a year before that in April, on April 14th, 2019 and 2018. And, and so I think journals are also a record, a way of measuring yourself against your own thoughts and reflections from the past. I mean, do you, it's, it's so interesting. Do you need to physically write it? Can you keep it on a notes app on your phone? Can it be on a Word doc on your laptop? Does it matter how you record it? I don't think so. I mean, and, and I, would, I would certainly value doing it over doing it perfectly. But for me, part of my morning routine is, and this goes to our question about using the phone, I want to not use my phone as much as possible in the morning. I want to get in the right headspace. So I try to, I do it analog specifically so I'm not wasting time on the phone. I understand this. I really do. Now, I, I can't tell you how much I've gotten out of this, how much our relationship means, and that you took the time to do this, and we could do this for hours still, but if listeners are interested in your books, and you've written several books, your blog posts, your speaking engagements, or anything else Ryan Holiday related, where should they go to get this information? 
Well, uh, let me say one thing first. This ties it back to where you're starting about, you know, wanting the next 30 years to be the best yes, years please. of your career. Please. It, it is funny because I talk to, I, I, I've been lucky enough to be interviewed by lots of people. You can definitely feel like a pro versus not a pro. And like every time I talk to you, I feel like I'm talking to someone who just like is operating on a different level. So I think your goal is, is not just attainable, it's inspiring to me because the, the fact that you're still trying to get better when you've done it this long and done it at this level, I, I love that. Um, and it inspires me. So I, I wanted to say that. I, I, I can't tell you how much that means to me because I think the world of you and I respect you greatly and I admire you greatly. That really means a lot to me. And by the way, this, this really is a personal mission and I'm not sure what the answer is. And the fact that you say that it is possible really does encourage me, Ryan. I appreciate that very, very much. And thank you for saying that. So, to answer the other question, yes, I, yes. Want, I want them to know exactly where to find you because there is so much more than even what you and I discussed. How can they find you? And thank you for what you just said. Of course, man. So, uh, so every day I do an email about ancient philosophy at dailystoic.com, and there's a podcast version of it, which you can get. It's just Daily Stoic, anywhere you get podcasts. I do a parenting one called Daily Dad every day as well. And then uh, you, can, you can follow my stuff at ryanholiday.net or get my books anywhere books are sold. Can you, thank you for that. Can you tell me very quickly on the way out the door, a bonus follow, what has fatherhood been like for you? Uh, the most challenging, most rewarding, and most transformative thing I've, I've ever done. There you go. Ryan, I appreciate you and this friendship and this conversation very, very much. Thank you so much for that. Stay in touch, man. I appreciate it. My guy, Ryan Holiday. I mean, where do I even begin? I love his question, are we using technology or is it using us? I mean, hilarious, right? Of course it's using us. In fact, it's abusing us. And we've got no one to blame but ourselves. The mindless hours scrolling on Instagram, the time suck arguments with strangers on Twitter, the endless loop of other people's stories, the never-ending chase for the dopamine hits that come from likes, shares, and retweets, the rabbit holes that we go down every single day on YouTube, and Netflix keeping us on that binge hamster wheel that we cannot get off of. Of course we're being used by tech. It's supposed to make our life easier. Instead, it's kicking our ass. It's time to flip the script. You want to get control of your life? Stop checking your phone. I also love when Ryan starts rapping about his dude, Marcus Aurelius, especially as it relates to essential versus non-essential. Again, Aurelius writes, quote, most of what we say and do is not essential. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's like a two by four to my head. Think about that. Most of what we say and do doesn't matter. It's not necessary. In fact, it's probably damaging. In other words, if you're in a bad headspace or you're not where you want to be in life, it's probably because most of what you say and do is not essential. So then if you flip it on its head, what if you only did and said things that were essential, that actually do matter? I'm guessing your life and mine would be exponentially better. That's definitely something I'm going to focus on going forward, only doing and thinking things that are essential. And finally, I don't know about you, but my biggest takeaway from speaking with Ryan once again is the reminder that the story we tell ourselves is paramount and that we have the power to decide exactly what that story is. In other words, it's not what happens to us, it's how we respond to what happens to us that matters.
Again, did the thing happen to you or for you? You can actually decide. Truly, events aren't good or bad. They're what you decide they are as long as you exercise your power to decide. And what I have decided is this. I'm going to get something positive out of anything and everything that happens, regardless of how jacked up it is. Because we know adversity in some form is coming if it isn't already here. We know this. So make sure you're prepared for it and you own it when it does. And you do that by figuring out how to use it instead of letting it destroy you. And then you do that by telling yourself a better story. Again, it's not about what happens to us, but rather how we respond to it. And that's going to do it for F7 of the Reinvention Project. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you like what you hear and you know somebody who you think might benefit from it, please feel free to share it and spread the word. And don't forget, if you get subscribed and you review it, that helps us as well. Have an amazing week. I will see you right back here next Thursday with UFC superstar Michael Chandler, who has an amazing story to share as well. And I will see you all then. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.